Let's bow our heads together and pray. Father, that's our prayer, that we would see Jesus, Lord, that we would see Jesus. So I pray this morning that as we peer into your word, that we might behold the face of Christ, for that's the intention of the word of God, to lead us to a confrontation with the Son of God, that our hearts might be changed forever. So Lord, I thank you for your great love for us. I thank you that you have entrusted to us the revelation of the Son of God that we have freely been given and that we have available to us all the time. And I pray, oh God, as we study today, that we will truly um, remain amazed at your mercy and thankful for your salvation. And may we adore the Savior, our, our Lord Jesus Christ, I pray in his name. Amen. So when I was a kid growing up in church, I remember this Sunday school chorus, <clears throat> the B-I-B-L-E. Remember that song? That is the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. Not a fantastic choir, but you know this. You know the. Uh, you know that chorus. You know that uh, great, great uh, chorus that we used to sing all the time. We do that in Sunday school anymore? I don't know, but I, I know that for me, that was pretty impacting as a kid growing up. As a small kid, started out right from the very, very beginning, recognizing that there was something special about the Word of God. Uh, of all the books in the world, and there are many, there was something about this collection of books that was special because it alone is the Word of God. <clears throat> and so as we continue to journey in our discipleship essentials, uh, last week we talked about, uh, Pastor Kelvin talked about a quiet time and all of that. And this morning, we want to look at the Word of God, its place in our lives, its importance in our lives. Why is it so critical for us that we be good students of the Word of God? And how can we do that? How can we be that? In some ways, the way we are hardwired works against us really benefiting from God's Word. And I'll explain it this way. In, if, um, if we were to, to survey some of the wives in here, they would say, there are several things that bother me about my husband. Uh, maybe there would be many things that bother me about. But let's just talk about several. Uh, one is, um, he never ever wants to pay any attention to the instructions when he's putting something together. Anybody relate to that? I, I mean, uh, I, I can tell you that, you know, we'll get something and I'll be opening the packaging up and I'll start working on it. Lynn will unravel the, you know, unfold the instructions and carry them over to me like as if I need them. <laughs> like, I don't, what's this for? Okay, it'll be good for me to sit the screws on so I can see it, but I, I, don't, I don't need this stuff. I said, Lynn, instructions are for losers. I don't need instructions. <laughs> And so you start putting the thing together, and then it's constructed like a loser put it together. But that's, that's and, then, and then, of course, um, and, and that's just the way we were born. It's just the way guys are born. And then, of course, you also know the biggie that 
my husband never, ever asks for directions, never stops for directions. We just drive around aimlessly until, until we find it. And, and, you know, I'm convinced that a woman invented the GPS just to solve that problem in my husband's life. So those two propensities of a man um, war against uh, our valuing the Word of God. Uh, men, men struggle with uh, disciplining themselves to pay attention to God's Word because we don't need instructions and we don't need directions. We just do. We just act. We just move forward. Now, um, that's the man side of things, but while the women are all chuckling about us, um, since I'm an equal opportunity pastor... I have something to say about the women as well and what challenges they face with life and the Word of God. And we, we do know that, uh, by and large, uh, women are more moved by feelings and emotion. Now, I know we cross over on lots of those things, but, but fundamentally, uh, women are motivated and moved by feelings and emotions, and that can war very much against the things of God's Word. And, and by the way, uh, that makes uh, um, for potential for great uh, deceit, being deceived. And, and I didn't say this. I didn't invent this. In fact, the Apostle Paul uh, made this point uh, when he was referring to that very first event in the Garden of Eden. He said this in 1 Timothy 2.14, Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Adam chose to ignore God's word and sinned. Eve was deceived and became a sinner. And so there were these two, ide- these two clashes of ideas. You have, you've got the man who, I don't need instructions, I don't need what God says, I'm just going to do whatever, and the woman who was emotion-feeling and deceived. And we have this challenge when we uh, now come to the Word of God. Because when we, uh, as men, husbands, fathers over our family, we put our lives, our families at risk when we instinctively refuse to pay attention to God's instructions, God's directions. And women instinctively put their family at risk and themselves at risk as well when they give in to feelings and emotion that are not squaring with the scriptures. Now, I think all of us know that um, when an enemy is seeking to uh, defeat uh, us, our enemy is seeking to defeat us, that enemy will attack our greatest asset. I mean, that's the strategy. That's the most sensible tactic is attack your greatest asset. I think it's fascinating and instructive for us to note that the enemy of our souls, in the first record of his interaction with humanity, is to attack the Word of God. In Genesis 3.1, the very first record that we have of, of the enemy of our souls was to, to, to eliminate uh, or by supernatural agenda to separate people from God's words. 
when he said, did God really say? And so we have this challenge from the get-go that we have not only our own instinctive barriers and obstacles to overcome in terms of how we handle the Word of God, but we have an avowed enemy that is seeking to undermine the Word of God to us. So we have this, this um, attack in our lives. And, and since we have learned that a disciple of Jesus Christ is a learner of Christ, his words and his ways, literally we are word handlers, it becomes vitally important for us to understand the battle that we're in, the way we are hardwired, and, and, and what God has to say about his word. So I'm going to invite you this morning to turn to Psalm 119 as we look at a, a certain kind, and a certain kind is a word lover. And, and while you're turning there, I just want to point out that there are three glaring concerns that undermine the very essence of discipleship on the basis of the attack of the enemy against us and the way we are hardwired ourselves. And those three things, and, and there are others, but these are the three main that I, that I think. Uh, the first is this, not obeying the word of God. I, I want to share with you what uh, Paul writes to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 6, he writes this, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Paul makes it abundantly clear that for any of us that disobey the word of God, we set ourselves up as enemies of God himself. We become those who, who set ourselves up under, for the wrath of God. So not obeying the word of God is critical. It's actually the sin of not believing God. Uh, it, is, it is not appropriate for us to be selective in our obedience. That's selective obedience is disobedience. And, and looking for loopholes to explain away the plain reading of the text was somehow to come up and uh, to, to, to find in, in our favor preferred words, which Paul calls empty words, words that aren't God's words. And we do this because we often don't want to do what God wants us to do. We fight against God by disobeying Him. The second is bypassing the recorded revelation of God for private messaging. Uh, do, you, do we realize how blessed we are of God that He has given us the recorded revelation of God? He has actually given us his words, so that we don't have to wonder what God thinks. And so it is, it is particularly troubling when we bypass the recorded, uh, recorded revelation of God for private messaging, allegedly from God, but sounding ever so familiar to our personal uh, preferences and agendas. So many people live their lives as if they have their own private different God. We have the sure word of God. You probably won't exhaust it in a lifetime. You don't really need to, uh, to rely on private messaging. You have the word of God. Uh, I, I want to share with you what 
uh, the Lord said to Jeremiah concerning this matter in Jeremiah 23. I think these words are worth hearing. Uh, Jeremiah 23 um, and uh, verse 25 and on. Listen, I have heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. They say I had a dream. I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name, just as their fathers forgot my name through Baal worship. Let the prophet who has a dream tell his dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what is straw to do with grain, declares the Lord? It's not my word, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. Therefore, declares, declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who steal from one another words supposedly from me. Yes, declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who wag their own tongues and yet declare the Lord declares. Indeed, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, declares the Lord. They tell them and lead my people astray with their reckless lies, yet I did not send or appoint them. They do not benefit these people in the least, declares the Lord. It is an egregious offense to the Lord Almighty to bear false witness against the Lord. It's a command. Do not attach the Lord's name to something that he has not said. Bearing false witness against the Lord is no different than the sin of murder. They are commands of the Lord. It is crucial. God says this to me. God says that to me. Misrepresenting him, misinterpreting God is a serious offense. And the third is worshiping the words and not the Word, capital L, capital, <laughs> I'm going to Lord, Cap, I guess I used to doing that, capital W, capital O, capital R, capital D, the logos of God. Now, you know, uh, Jesus went head-to-head uh, -head with some Pharisees one day in John chapter 5, and he says this to them in verse 39, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The purpose and point of the word of God is to lead us into the face of Jesus Christ that we might know him. He is the one that grants us salvation we are not somehow magically saved by simply reading the, page, reading the words off the page of our Bible. The words that are given to us in this are the revelation of Jesus Christ, that we might see who he is and run to him and be rescued by him and loved by him. These are the words that point to me. So, be careful that we don't get into some sort of legalistic discipline. Well, I've read my Bible, so I must be okay. I must be good. Hey, the Bible, the purpose of the Bible is to carry us to Jesus, to bring us into his presence, 
to make us more and more aware of him, to see his face. We live by faith, not by sight, but we have been granted this gracious gift of God to see Jesus in the revelation of Christ in his word. The great tragedy of the struggling believer, and there are so many of us who are struggling to really benefit from what it is and what it means to have a vital and powerful relationship with Jesus Christ. So many of us are struggling in this whole area of God's Word. The very solution to our quest for happiness and fulfillment and joy is found in the very thing that we violate most, the Word of God. It's critical that we get this right. That's why one of our foundational core essentials at Calvary is we take God's word seriously. It's so absolutely critical that we get this right. How important? Well, I want to just review for a moment uh, what Pastor Calvin taught us last week in John chapter 15. Uh, I, I invite you to look there for a moment because in this particular section, verse 9, 10, and 11, is core truth on what it means to experience the fullness of the presence and power of God and what it really means to abide in Christ. One of the critical discipline lessons for the Christian journey is learning what abiding means. Learning what it means to be attached to the vine Christ Jesus and to to benefit from all the life-giving flow that comes from Christ himself that is available to every single believer. This is for all of us. The intention of being attached to the vine who's, who's Christ Jesus is that we might draw all of the nourishment of his power and his presence that is available to us. And Jesus sets forth the key to that experience. It is this. As the Father has loved me, verse 9, John 15, so have I loved you. Isn't that that a beautiful? I mean, to have the Lord of glory loving you. There is no greater thing than to have the Lord of glory love you. Now remain in that love, abide in that love, enjoy that love, benefit from that love, fully draw from that love. If you obey my commands, you will abide in my love. You will draw fully from my love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The very thing, beloved, we long for, to experience the fullness of the love of Christ, to benefit from the fullness of the joy of Christ, and according to verse 7, to have our prayers answered. Anybody want their prayers answered? Hinges on our obedience to God's word. So when we're talking about motivation here this morning to this very basic lesson in discipleship, I'm hoping, I don't, I don't guess, 
I could express to you words of greater motivation. Do you want to enjoy the fullness of Jesus' love? Do you want to enjoy the fullness of Jesus' joy? Do you want to enjoy answered prayer? Then obey the word of God. Mic drop. But I'll pick it back up because I got a little bit more to say. Like, oh, please. It's going to be the shortest sermon ever. Christ makes it plain. This is the key. No shortcuts. No fudging it. No, well, I take that, but I don't take this. No selectivity. He's not a boutique God who says, why don't you just draw from the things that you really like? You try to draw from the things that you really like and disobey the things that you don't like, you will not draw from that reservoir of love. You will not experience the fullness of his joy. You will not experience answered prayer. So, what's the value then to to the disciple of Bible study? Well, I've told you this core essence here, but... But there's more to say, and I I only want to answer two questions this morning. The value of the disciple of Bible study. I want to answer the question of why should I study God's word and how can I really benefit from the study of God's word? Those two things is all I want to deal with this morning. And I want to look at Psalm 119 with you. The first 16 verses and divided in half, eight verses will answer the why the second eight verses will answer the how. Now, I don't know how much you know about this uh, Psalm 119, but it's an acrostic. It's the Hebrew alphabet. Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. If you want to know it, study a little bit of Hebrew, do Psalm 119, look at the titles, and each of those little squiggly symbols are a Hebrew letter. Aleph is the first one. There are eight verses in each of these strophes. There are 22 strophes uh, representing all of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. What's even more interesting and more artistically crafted is the fact that each of the eight verses under each of the letters start with that letter. So each of the eight verses, for instance, in the first eight verses, start with the letter Aleph. But of course, when you're looking at your English Bible, they don't start with the same letter because it's translated. So... But if it wasn't translated, if we were doing Hebrew, it would be Aleph, 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 eight times, and it would be Beth, 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 eight times, and it would be De- uh, Gimel, 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 eight times, Dal, 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 Dal. You get it. You don't want to do all 22. But that's what it is. And um, so it's very particularly crafted. And all the verses except for three address God directly. And there's over 100 verses here. Now, lots of people... Although it's not named here, lots of old interpreters think this is a psalm of David. Because not every psalm is written by David. But they think this psalm is a psalm of David. And there's every likelihood that it is. And um, it is a boost to our faith. If, you, um, if you're sagging in your motivation to, uh, to the value of God's word, read Psalm 119 all over again. It will strengthen you. It will encourage you. So let's read the 16 verses and then we'll come back and make a few comments. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, 
how? Who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes or testimonies and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees or statutes. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws or ordinances or judgments. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek, you in all, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Now, if this was David, we're talking about the powerful King David, the great King David. King over a, the great and powerful nation of Israel. And here he is saying... I will not neglect your word. In all of the things and responsibilities I have as a king, running a kingdom, I will not neglect your word. Now, what are your excuses? What are my excuses for neglecting God's word? So I want to, um, as we dive into this, um, I like a, a phrase I picked up from John Piper that I think is really helpful, and it is that faith feeds on Scripture all day. I'm going to flesh that out a little bit as we work our way through that, but I, I think that's one of the great statements, um, because when our faith is depleted, there is every likelihood that we have a famine of scripture going on in our life because faith is fed by scripture all day long now why should i make and why should you make the study of god's word and i'm talking about the written revealed recorded version that you have in your hands right now um, the key objective of your life why now, by the way, um, in, in this text, in, in the psalm here, um, the context here, if you read through it, you realize it's typical of, of being in a state of, of tension and distress and disappointment. This is written in the, the regular reality of life. I mean, maybe none of you can really um, appreciate that because, you, you know, you know this week was, was not at all a trial. There was no distress. There was never a disappointment going on. But, but maybe on the other hand, if you lived real life out and you come to a text like this, you realize that, hey, you know what? That describes my week. In fact, there was lots of trial and there was lots of distress and there was quite a bit of disappointment. And, and when I come to this, it's, it's a little bit reassuring to realize that, that the psalmist here is tr seeking to encourage our lives in the midst of reality. In the midst of the reality of our lives. And basically he's saying to us, I want to tell you why in the midst of trials, 
I'm going to keep on trusting God. That's really what he does for us here, which is quite amazing. And by the way, the, the culture we live in long ago abandoned the opportunities that they could have had to receive the blessing of God by simply rejecting his word. Because it, it says to us here in the first two verses, why should I make the study of God's word a key objective of my life? Because my life will be blessed if I do. The promise of the blessed life is put right here for us. Jesus says the same thing in John 15. You want to know what it is to remain in my love? You want to know what it is to, to abide in, in the fullness of my joy? You want to know what it is to have answered prayer? You want to know what it is to have the blessed life? Obey my word. He's saying the same thing. Who walk according to the law of the Lord. Who seek him with all of their heart. They walk in his ways. That's the blessed life. The blessed life is... Another way of saying it simply is to say, happy, is, happy are those whose ways are blameless because they walk according to the law of the Lord. Maybe the, the best biblical way to describe the word blessed is to have and experience the promise of the full face of God aimed at you. There's a... There's a great blessing uh, text that most of us know in, in the Old Testament. And it says, it, you know, it goes this way. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And be gracious to you and give you peace. That's the definition. It's the way the Hebrew construction is, may the Lord bless you is illustrated by the Lord's shining his full face on you. And see, the psalmist here notes that, that I don't, if, if I disobey the Lord, I'll be put to shame, verse 6. And I don't want to be put to shame. I don't want the Lord to turn his back to me. I want the Lord to, to look full face into my life. To shine the glory of his face on my life. That's the blessed life. That's the promise of why we study God's word. That we might know his commands. That we might know how to walk in his ways. That we might experience the benefit of abiding in Christ. Of being attached to the vine. Of having the fullness of the presence and power of God. and His love and his joy and his peace and his comfort in the midst of distress and trials and disappointments. Then you have no conflict of soul. You're right with God. You're not, you're, you're not double-minded. You don't have an undivided loyalty. All of these make life whole. Physically and emotionally and spiritually. But he, he says something more in, the, in the four, uh, four, verses 4 to 8. And that is that um, you'll notice he says, you, you have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Why should we make the study of God's word 
a key objective of our lives? Because it is the command to those who love God. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, finish it, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, the Apostle Paul uh, made a, a, a tremendous statement. It, it, you know, if, if we could come up with, and there's so many awesome, great statements in the Scripture, but if we could come up with a, an awesome one-liner for Calvary, I, I think there isn't many that are better than 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. In that verse, Paul says, We do not preach ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, as Lord. Man, that, that is so powerful. You know, if we could have a moniker for Calvary, I know I've put a lot of monikers on Calvary, but if we could have another one that would be just like, we want this statement to, to represent us, to, that the city might drive by and see, we do not preach ourselves. That's the culture, the culture around us is all about preaching themselves. And quite frankly, I'm frustrated with how much of the creep of the culture creeps into the church because there's a whole lot of preaching our, of ourselves. No, no, no. We don't preach ourselves and, you know, well, this is the way I think and this is the way God made me and all that stuff, blah, 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 blah. We preach Christ Jesus as Lord. Now that makes all the difference in the world. Because when you preach Christ Jesus as Lord, then doesn't it stand to reason that his words have authority in our lives? Does it, doesn't that crush all the will? I think this and I feel that. And God made me this way. And I know what it says, but really I feel this. Oh, no, no. We're not preaching ourselves. Stop blah, blah, blahing yourself to me. We preach Christ Jesus as Lord. That's who we are. The command to those who love him is to follow his word, to obey his word. And, and by the way, God's word in these first few verses is described in, in very authorita authoritative terms. The, the most used um, translation that we, when we're looking in our Bibles and we see word, the most usual translation is law, Torah. We think of often the Torah is just the first five books of the, of the Old Testament, but the, in, in the Hebrew mindset, the Torah, the law extended beyond that. God's word was Torah, law. And, and, of course, you've got words like his testimonies, which are his proof, his ways, his precepts. All of these are synonymous with God, what God's word is to give us a, a beautiful picture of the fullness of God's word. With all of these words, De, uh, precepts are details for responsible living and oversight. Statutes, his statutes, literally, they're binding, they're permanent, and they don't expire. You know, I wish I had a dollar for everyone who says, oh, that's an old book, it's an ancient book, it doesn't apply to this culture. Rick, do you not realize this is 2019? Uh, God's word has no best before date. 
It has no expiry. It's the statutes of God are permanent. They don't expire. And when his commands, by the way, the psalmist here says, do you realize that if you don't obey his commands, you will be put to shame? And I don't want to be put to shame, he says. I don't, and that literally means ostracized. The idea was that they took God's word seriously enough that if someone disobeyed the commands of God, they were ostracized. And I don't want to be shamed, he says. I don't want to have, I don't want to have God's turn his face from me and the community ostracize me. I, I, I want to obey the commands of God. I want to live a blessed life. The ordinance of God are the judgments by the judge of all the universe. His word, truth, promises. When God says something, it's as if it's done. So, it is in the obeying that our love for God is shown real. And our lives are made blessable. Spell check didn't like that word. And the blessings from God are experienced. So that's the why. But what's the how? Look at these uh, last couple of verses, these last eight verses. How can you go about experiencing the joy of a profoundly wholesome life? Now, um, it is no mystery to us, I think, in this group, that our purpose in life is to glorify God. Yes? Yes, we, we've settled that. Our purpose in life is to honor God, is to glorify God. In order to glorify God, I need to learn how not to sin. Yes? Because sin does not glorify God. And in order for me to learn how not to sin, God's word has to move into me. I'm not making this stuff up. That's what the psalmist says. Look at it. How can a young man, or young woman for that matter, keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Okay, well, how do you do that? He says, I seek you with all my heart. Ah, do not let me stray from your commands. Well, how do I seek you with all my heart? What does that look like? Verse 11, ah, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Ah, so here's the how. The stress, of course, is on heart, which is the place of our thinking and our feeling. And this certain kind, this disciple learns what to treasure. There's help for us in verse 14. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. What would you do today if you suddenly found a cachet of great riches? You would hide it. You would take it, and you would hide it, and you would take care of it, and you would treasure it, and you would put all kinds of safeguards around it. And the call on our life here is treasure God's word like it is great riches. So how? Two things here. First, you have to hunt down knowledge of the holy. I will seek you with all my heart and store it. How do you hide something unless you store it? You have to store it. 
I will seek you not for a scholarly pleasure, but to know you for affection, to know you and love you. I, that's why Paul, the apostle, said, I want to know Christ. I, I just want to know Christ. Now, you do this the way you store food or, you know, you store food in a cupboard. I presume you went into your house, there'd be stuff in cupboards. You store it there because you know you're going to need it because you're going to eat it. So you store that up. And then, of course, there's storing up food in our lives. We're storing up food in our physical bodies. And we store up lots of food. And we increase in our size of, to store food because we're going to need it for action and energetic responsibilities that we have. The Word of God is no different. That's why the Word of God is regularly illustrated as food for us. We store it up because it is the Scripture that you will need all day long, every single day. Otherwise, you will revert to your fleshly thinking or your instincts on how you will do something as opposed to following God's word. You store up, you hide God's word because faith feeds on scripture all day long. So you store it, but you have to treasure it. And this is an act of God. This is, the, this is our desire. This is where we express to the living God, oh God, you know my heart is apathetic today. You know my heart is cold today. You know my heart really isn't into your word today. I'm not interested in it, Lord. You know me. Now, Lord, would you, would you do a special work in my heart right now as I open up your word, as I discipline myself to open up your word? Would you do a special work in my heart to soften it, to open it, to, to cause me to desire it, to cause me to treasure you and treasure your word? This is not something that we can generate ourselves. Otherwise, Jesus died in vain. This is what comes from being attached to the vine. This is what we do. We go to Jesus and we ask him, Lord God, I, I want to demonstrate my love for you. I want to enjoy the benefits of that love. I, I want to know what it is to have the fullness of your joy. I want to know what it is to, to have a, a heart that, that, whereby prayers are answered. Lord, I, I want to know what it is to be thankful to you for telling me the truth and giving me your revelation. I want to... I want my taste to change. I want my thinking to change. I want my judgment to change. I want my interactions with people to change, oh God, to be more and more like you. Would you do that in my life? You think God's going to turn that prayer away? No, he responds to that prayer. He shows me how to be the absolute best version of myself. You know what the absolute best version of myself is? Uh, when I'm fully obeying the Lord, the, the Word of God, that's the best version because then I become most Christ-like. And every one of us, the design that God has for every one of us is that we would be the best version of ourselves. And that's the great joy that He provides for us and offers to us. You have to feed your faith to keep it strong. And the only way you can keep your faith strong is by feeding it God's Word. But you have to hide God's word. That's why memorizing scripture is so critical. That's why learning text. That's why our disciple process this year, we're going to learn at least 50 texts, memorize at least 50 verses. Hiding God's word it is a superior treasure. 
Piper writes, present and active that conquers sin. Obeying scripture energizes faith. You know, um, I was reading an article of, by Piper on the, his great value of the word of God. And, and, and he sort of challenged me as I was reading on something that he did. And, and it was, he just started listing all of the challenges in life, some distresses, some direction, all those kinds of things, and then, and then just proceeded to, to um, um, from the wellspring of his own heart and knowledge of Scripture, just point out how Scripture, having been hidden in his heart, strengthened him. And so I thought, you know, I've had all kinds of life experiences. I wonder, I wonder what that looks like. And I thought, I, I've done the very same thing. I, I've done that. You know, when, when I've been looking for direction, thinking about direction, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, right? And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. I see some of you mouthing these verses. You know them. You, you've, you've been there in that moment, or in the moment of, uh, you know, who actually owns my life, and should I do this, should I do that? And that Galatians 2.20 text comes up. I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Or perhaps in a time when you needed confidence in your, your walk with God and your salvation, therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him because he ever lives to intercede for us. Or maybe time of fear has hit your life. He or she who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shade of the Almighty. I, I remember a time of great fear in my life and that was the first thing that came to me. I happened to find out recently that that was a great heritage to our family. My grandmother challenged my aunt, who was 16 years old, and saying goodbye to her husband of two weeks to go to World War II. And they covenanted together, all three of them, that they would read Psalm 91 every single day until he came home from overseas. When you think of being alone, I'm sure you've, you've run to Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you or forsake you. Or perhaps when, when you just don't know what to do, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And the one who watches over Israel never sleeps and never slumbers. Or when you're perplexed, Romans 8, 28. Therefore, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. 
and for good measure, he throws in at the end, and what can separate you from the love of God? Nothing. And when your heart is broken at the graveside, more than several times, I've just clung to John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and get you so that where I am, there you may be also. One of the disciples named Thomas said, we don't know where you're going, so how do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Beloved, do you see how the hiding of God's word in our lives is the food source that strengthens our faith in the midst of distress and despair and disappointment? And then I have clung for years to a promise that God made in Isaiah 59, 21, and I claimed it for myself and our family. It goes like this. My spirit who is on you and my words that I have put in your mouth, they will not depart from your mouth nor from the mouths of your children nor from the mouths of their descendants from this day on and forever. That's our verse. That's our Baker moniker. Beloved, Faith feeds on the scriptures all day long. Hide it. Treasure it. Don't leave home without it. Our Father, I pray this morning and thank you for your amazing mercy and grace and kindness to us that you have not left us wondering, wandering aimlessly, unsure of what pleases you or what we should do or how we should live or how we should speak or think or, or interact with one another or love you. No, no, no. You, you've told us. You've fed us your word. And now, O oh God, it is for us to hide it in our hearts like the rich treasure it really is, O oh God. May that be our desire for Christ's sake, I pray. Amen. So, beloved of Christ, Jesus wants you to have this. He saved you and attached you to himself so that you could experience the fullness of his love, the fullness of his joy, and in fullness in communication with him answered prayer. but he won't give it to you if you shortchange his word. You can't fudge there. Those who obey my word keep themselves in my love and experience the fullness of my joy and experience answered prayer. Faith feeds on scripture all day long. Have a great week. Well, let's see you back tonight, 5 o'clock for dinner, 6 o'clock for a great celebration. 
Have a great week. God bless.